0: You are listening to Shout for Libraries in Edmonton on CJSR. We're a group of library students at
1: the University of Alberta who are interested in raising awareness about topics such as censorship,
0: freedom of expression, and social responsibility. My name is Larissa. And I'm Marin, and we'll be your hosts for this half hour of Library-Centric Radio. Thanks for tuning in. On each episode of Show for Libraries, we explore a different issue in library and information studies. Today is our Valentine's Day show, and we're talking about love in the library. But first, let's get to know the host just a bit better, dating profile style, with a librarian twist. Hi everyone, I'm
1: Larissa. I'm learning about important dates in history. Want to be one of them? I'm the kind of gal who likes nothing more than reading with the right person. Personally, I'm not a big fan of long walks on the beach. I mean, how is one supposed to read while walking without ending up in the water? I'll admit, I have a preferred type, typeface, that is, Baskerville, though I'm open to most serif fonts. I won't judge a book by its cover, but you better make sure you have your library card
0: if you want to check me out. My name is Marin, and like all librarians, I'm a novel lover. There's only one way to take my breath away, and that's to steal my favorite book. Tell me! How am I supposed to breathe with no Jane Eyre? Some say that true love is dead, but to them I just say, whatcha Tolkien about? But if you want to talk about Shakespeare, well, you had me at Othello. I'm looking for someone who is a real page-turner. Do you think you can get into my good books? And now that we know a bit more about our hosts,
1: let's check in with Rachel, who's been busy searching the stacks for the best pickup lines for librarians
2: looking for love. Hello, lovely listeners. Have you heard the one about the librarian with more stacks than they could handle? My name is Rachel Ocelin. Recently, I attended the OLA Super Conference in Toronto, Ontario. The OLA, or Ontario Library Association, is Canada's largest library organization, and Super Conference is Canada's largest continuing education event in librarianship. I took to the conference halls to find sexy librarians seeking love with their best pickup lines to catalog under desire. One line that works for me when I'm out looking for love is, I see that you like to do research without a librarian. I too like to live dangerously. Let's go check in with the other lonely librarians at the conference to hear what lines check out when searching for love.
3: Hi,
4: my name is Stephanie. I am a library student from
3: Western Ontario. And
4: if you were a book, I'd check you out. Hi, my name is Andrea. I'm from the University of Western Ontario. And can I have your call number? Hi, my name is
0: Melanie. And here's my library pickup line. Don't worry, I'll forgive your
3: fines. Sleep with the librarian. You'll learn something. Why yes, I am fluent in dewey, and this is a real 646.77. I'd like to
5: flip your pages.
2: If you were words on a page, you'd be
6: fine print.
3: You're like a bestseller list, and I'm like a book. I could be on you for weeks. Is that a hardcover, or are you just happy to see me? Well,
1: those pickup lines were definitely by the book. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Shout for Libraries on CJSR. Even though February is the month that we tend to celebrate romance and love, it's important to remember that there are other important matters in our profession and the world today. Kendra's latest interview explores some of these issues. Listen in now.
7: Hi, everyone. My name is Kendra, and I'm here to remind our listeners that a really important part of celebrating our love for each other on Valentine's Day, Galentine's Day, Palatine's Day, whatever you call it, is consent. While well, I can imagine the many and wonderful ways consent plays out in our libraries, unfortunately sexual harassment is still a huge part of navigating that landscape and all the relationships involved in library work. And so I spoke to Daniel Allard, Tammy Olafant, and Angela Liu about sexual harassment of library employees and the work they're doing to bring this conversation to the
5: forefront. Hello, I'm Danielle Allard. I'm um, a faculty member here at the School of Library and Information Studies.
3: I'm Angela Liu. Um, I'm a second-year student in the MLIS program here at SLIS.
6: Hello, my name is Tammy Oliphant, and I'm an assistant professor here at the School of Library and Information Studies.
3: Great. So, would you mind just defining uh, sexual harassment for our listeners? Yes. So, more broadly... um, sexual harassment can be visual or verbal or physical. I think we often think of it um, in a physical context and forget that it can also be non-physical. It often comes in the context of comments or gestures or questions that might make someone feel uncomfortable um, because they're of a sexual or gendered nature. Um, I've been looking at sexual harassment in terms of third-party harassment, so uh, in a library context that looks like patrons harassing library workers. So I'm wondering
7: if you can help us contextualize um, patron-perpetrated sexual harassment at the library and the ways in which it's either or both uh, similar and different to other service industry jobs.
5: Library workers are typically women. They're often young women. They're often racialized women. Uh, and they're on the front lines providing services. And there's an assumption that um, that it is a requirement of them that they provide provide service and so they're there to help and it's their job to to do what is being asked of them and that sets up a kind of um, structural hierarchy and it's already happening in a very gendered very um, patriarchal context context which is the world that we live and then that is just
6: amplified and i think what makes libraries in particular Uh, different from the hospitality sector is that we do have a social justice orientation and a lot of the patrons that do come to libraries are people who might not be empowered in other ways in their everyday lives. So I think that tension potentially makes this a different type of scenario. Um, I I think
3: that we're in an interesting sphere in libraries where the power dynamics look a little bit different than some of the other industries. Um, I mean, the the male to female power dynamics is, is the key to a lot of sexual har- harassment that's perpetrated in general. Um, and then I think we touched briefly on the feminization of library work. Um, so 85% 80, of library workers right now are are women, and I think 80% of MLIS grads are women, so that doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. Um, So we're particularly vulnerable in a very feminized profession. Um, We're also in a very sexualized profession where the stereotype of the sexy librarian is still um, very prevalent. And I think that plays into a lot of the ways that um, sexual harassment is manifested in the library. Um, This kind of fetishization, is that a word? Fetishization and fantasization of the sexy librarian character.
6: Just to add on to what Angela was saying as well, um, so a lot of people that are potentially sexually harassing library staff are people who are going to return. So another difference with the hospitality industry is that the customer will leave. Uh, So you potentially have to face someone or a patron um, on a regular basis. So there's that possibility as well, too.
8: Yeah, and that's what I was going to ask or um, speak to, because I think there's two things that are going on in a library specifically, and I think you Mm -hmm. spoke to the social justice component. So this commitment to access, which I think is not necessarily true in a restaurant industry Mm -hmm. um, or somewhere that is...
7: Access to good food. Yeah,
8: (laughs) but um, there's that, and then also this idea that people um, can come back, and we're committed to public space as being accessible to people. So I wonder how we contend with those sort of issues while also trying to ensure um, and be accountable to the
3: safety of those working in our libraries. So I don't think that all behaviors are allowed right now at the library and we just have to include sexual harassment onto that list of, of things that are not okay to do.
6: Um, just related to what Angela had said as well, I think that we need to give people uh, not the benefit of the doubt, but a generous reading. Um, You know, people who maybe are not aware that their behavior is inappropriate or that um, their verbal comments are inappropriate, because I mean, this could be a whole lifetime of making these kind of comments, especially to younger women.
8: Yeah, um, I really appreciate and agree with that. And I think this is coming from my own experience of working at a library where often punitive measures are taken when somebody transgresses a boundary or a law uh, or policy, and um, often that punitive measure is, oh, you're, you're banned from the library or you're gone. And I think, you know, we talk about this culture of accountability, but we can also talk about disposability, and we talk about how um, this is part of our community, and we're also an educational institution, so what is our role in you know trying to facilitate that sort of education while also protecting the safety of individuals in the library, while also not replicating other forms of violence in the form of policing um, or you know disposal or whatnot? That often is related to race and gender and socioeconomic status. So I think it's, it's a very complicated issue, but I just wonder how you would reflect on the library as a learning institution um, that often serves people with varying experiences um, or intersections of
3: oppression, um, who, as you said, might not have been exposed to these conversations before. Um, I think the problem with uh, the sexual harassment issue in general is that we're trying to hold people accountable for something that has been normal for so long. So these people are often following what they think is a normal sexual script um, of pursuing women and complimenting women. Um, So to hold someone accountable for something that has been normal for so long is really hard. Um, I think a really big piece of the puzzle is in in terms of education is not educating um, the perpetrator directly, but educating the victims on how to address it um, so how do we tell people um, and make people feel safe and feel supported to stand up for themselves to have that conversation with someone and not be worried about um, getting in trouble or saying something wrong how do we get people to feel comfortable to take the time to report things so that we have a paper trail if it is someone that's uh, a repeated offender
5: so this I don't know the answer to this. But it came up a lot in um, LIS 541, the um, LIS services to um, culturally diverse communities. And um, I think part of this problem goes back to the very first thing that was said about libraries as thinking of themselves as as having a kind of a social responsibility to provide access, and so a sense of the library worker as as working really hard not to be judgmental, and then but then there this question comes up, but if we believe in social responsibility and we believe in equity, and our practice and our beliefs um, are feminist or um, anti-racist, uh, at what point do we have to be judgmental? And how does that look in this particular context where we also want to do all those other things that we talked about and still believe in them around providing um, access and being a welcoming space and inviting people in? I just think that there's a critical tension there that is has yet to be unpacked.
6: So I have a couple of things to say to this question, and I really like Angela's point that um, it's maybe not so much about educating perpetrators as it is about educating library workers and how to respond to that. And so that actually speaks to the work that Danielle and I are going to engage in. And I think that goes back to LIS education. We don't talk about sexual harassment at all. And we're hoping that we will be able to address it through the projects that we're working on. Um, And Angela was really instrumental in bringing this to the fore. Um, So I think that is a key component. I am worried as an LIS educator that a lot of what we do are setting young women up, especially to go into these public spaces (laughs) without having any idea of how to deal with um, patrons, uh, so that's a big part of the piece. Um, the other thing that I was thinking about though, I believe it was in Sweden that they actually ran some programs in the public library, and it was for new immigrants, and it was about misogyny, it was about how women are treated in Sweden, and um, they actually had really great success with this program. So. You know, in that sense, there are, I think, things that libraries could do to address this problem and just even keeping conversations going about Me Too movement and that type of thing. So I think there are things that we can do on both sides, but for Danielle and I right now, uh, we're going to be focusing on the LIS education piece. So we would like to...
5: um do work around LIS education, particularly educating students about sexual harassment in libraries. And that would include a broad understanding of what sexual harassment is, how it might be enacted in a library, and um, provide. So so have a kind of a structural overview and understanding of it as a, a social issue, um, and but a critical component of it component of it would also be a toolkit, a set of um, practices um, that one could um, uh, use to respond to or react to um, sexual harassment. So one of the
8: things that I have noticed also from my time working at a library um, is that sometimes sexual harassment originates in the library and it follows you out of the library. Um, So, or conversely, sometimes it starts outside of the library and then it follows you in. Um, And I'm wondering if you imagine there being any sort of recourse around this or any sort of support um, as part of that like, you know, desired policy change. So for example, um, leaving the library and having a patron follow you to your car. So that's no longer on the property,
3: but originated at the library. Um, it's certainly not unheard of. I've, I've heard of lots of situations where patrons have followed library workers to their cars, to their homes, to onto the same buses. Um, I would argue before getting into that, that sexual harassment follows you outside the library, regardless of whether that means a human is following you. I think the kind of emotional impacts of it are, certainly go with you when you leave work, which is part of the problem. Um, But anytime someone follows you, it certainly becomes a legal matter um, of harassment in general. Um, And we shouldn't take that lightly. So that certainly warrants for sure a report, if not a call to the police.
6: I'm not sure I have anything profound to say on this. It's a really, really interesting question. Yeah, just uh, sitting here, but then I was thinking, you know, of all of the movies, like Love Actually, even Pride and Prejudice with Mr. Collins, like the culture is stalking actually shows you really care about someone and that they're really interested. And if at first they say no, what they really mean is that you haven't tried hard enough yet. So I think this kind of speaks to um, another aspect of the problem. Um, And again, it's a big woolly social problem as well. Um, But yeah, I just, that would be very frightening, because I just think it's someone following you, but then you see people outside of work all the time. So I'm torn on this question, because as I said earlier, I would want to give someone a generous reading, and I... Have to believe in the power of people to change, um, you know, or otherwise it kind of messes up my whole world views. But at the same time, anything, you know, illegal violence, physical violence, um, verbal violence, uh, you know, of course that has to be dealt with. Um, but yeah, for me, this really presents an interesting tension between. Um, you know, that generous reading, and then actually, you know, what's the letter of the law? I have a a different take on this,
5: which is that um, while I I fundamentally agree with Tammy's um, worldview of generosity uh, towards human beings, and I think that that's the way that um, we can, that the world, that, that that's the way, that's the space where um, improvements might be made. I think that the reason that um, perpetrators can walk into these spaces, um, though there might be restraining orders against them, for example, is because that the law and um, society generally fundamentally doesn't believe that women are at risk. Uh, and fundamentally doesn't believe that uh, violence against women is an issue that looks um, different for women, that um, is enacted differently. And so um, there aren't the kinds of protections in place that assume that these are real problems. And, uh, And so the One of the ways that this gets addressed, though um, no time soon, I'm imagining, is by um, changing the way that we think about violence against women. Great. Well,
8: if nobody has anything else they want to say, thank you all so much.
0: Thank you, Kendra. This is Shout for Libraries on CJSR, and we are talking about Love in the Library. Following that wonderful interview, we have some movie recommendations from Corey for all those people out there celebrating Palentine's Day this year. So let's show a little love to our buddies, because we all know we get by with a little help from our friends.
4: Hey, Shout for Library listeners. So I thought I'd recommend a couple movies that deviate away from all of those classic romance movies that are usually consumed this time of the year. You know, with things like friend love, family love, or maybe even just loving yourself. So I was inspired to do this as I was thinking about going to see a movie this week, and I was checking out what was available online. And there are a bunch of action movies, The New Fifty Shades of Grey, and a movie about a country singer that comes back to his hometown. He attempts to win back his high school sweetheart and also has a daughter with her, but he didn't know about this daughter. Nah, none of that was for me, and also it's pretty wintry out there, and I don't know if I want to leave my apartment this weekend. Anyway, here are some movie recommendations if you're on the same page as I am. The first one is Frances Ha. This movie came out in 2012 and I actually remember going to see it in the basement of the Princess Theatre and watching it alone, which is an excellent way to see the movie by the way. The central theme of the movie is about growing up and making mistakes along the way. The lead character, Frances, is played by Greta Gerwig and she is an apprentice at a dance company in New York. Her character is kind of all over the place and at times she's really ambitious and courageous and at other times she's fumbling through big and small life situations. She often relies on self-deprecation and jokes that she is not a real person yet, which I really appreciate. This movie is also about her relationship with her best friend Sophie, as they grow apart and reconnect several times throughout the film. I really love this movie. I really appreciate the writing and the acting, especially the many expressive faces of Greta Gerwig. Um, She also co-wrote the film with Noah Baumbach, and you may also know her as the writer and director of Lady Bird, a very popular movie that came out last year, which I thought about recommending, but it honestly didn't grip me the same way Frances Ha did. The next movie is God Help the Girl. The movie was released in 2014 and set in Glasgow, Scotland. It has some pretty great friendship storylines, but is ultimately a story of a girl who learns to love herself. And I know that sounds cheesy, but sometimes you need a little cheese. I should also mention that the movie is sort of a musical. It's based off of an album with the same name by Stuart Murdoch, who is from the band Belle and Sebastian. This movie was certainly a passion project for him, as the album was released five years before the film and then was apparently always his intention for him to make a film out of the story. I had the album and fell in love with the songs well before I saw the movie, so maybe that's why I enjoyed it so much. But I think that the story itself is really interesting, and the acting is great. It also has Hannah Murray in it, who's the actress that plays Gilly from Game of Thrones, and she's great. And finally, my last recommendation is a documentary about twins. Actually, just one set of twins. They are both born in South Korea and were adopted to separate families and then found each other through social media. The doc is called Twinsters and came out in 2015. Samantha, the twin who grew up in the United States, is an actress. You can see her in a few things, but most notably she played Tunes on Kroll Show. Anyways, I don't want to give too much away about the story and how they find each other, but the documentary is really fun and really heartwarming, and if you're a sap like I am, then I think you will enjoy it. And by the way, all of these movies that I recommended, they're currently on Netflix, so you don't have to leave your apartment either this weekend. You're welcome. Thank you, Corey, for those awesome recommendations.
0: If you're just tuning in, this is Shove for Libraries on CJSR. Next, we have a song from A Tribe Called Red, an all-First Nation DJ crew from Ottawa, Canada, featuring Lido Pimienta called The Light from their album We Are Hallucination. Pimienta says they set out to showcase how settler colonialism is, in fact, way more nuanced and complex by challenging these assumptions and preconceptions of how Indigenous people ought to be. The group combines Indigenous drum group samples with house music elements and pioneered a new genre of music called Pow Wow Step. Their new album is politically charged, and the song urgently celebrates community, love, and connection.
7: I'll do it all again for you.
1: If you're just tuning in, this is Shout for Libraries on CJSR. And that's it for today's show. A special thanks to Anoop Harryhan, a.k.a. Anoop Scoop, who composed
0: our theme music. We hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you to our guests for joining us on this episode of Shout for Libraries.
1: You can visit our Facebook page at Shout for Libraries or
0: visit us on Twitter at Shout, the number four, libraries. Once again, this has been Larissa. And Marin, And we have been your hosts for this half hour of library-centric radio. Catch us on the next episode of Shout for Libraries.